Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here of the Locked On Nationals podcast here on this Friday, November 20th, 2020. On the show today, it's my conversation with Aram Layden of the Locked On Marlins podcast and the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. He and I talk all things free agency. We specifically really get into the catcher's market and how interesting it's going to be, not just for the Nationals, but the entire National League East and how that could affect the catcher's market for teams across baseball. So that's a fun conversation that we had. And then we also talk about uh, some of the Nationals' prospects who were playing in some of the instructional league games that were happening down in Florida. So uh, we get into that. And then also, Arm does lend us some uh, some of his insights on just some general Nats prospects things. So always a great conversation with Arm. Hope you guys enjoy. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Locked on Nationals podcast today. Joining us is Arm Layton, the host of the Locked on Prospects podcast, as well as the Locked on Marlins podcast. Uh, recurring guest, one of our favorites. Arm, we're making the rounds here of each one of the, the National League teams, uh, National League East teams, rather, after the season, talking about some free agency stuff. Um, quite the year for the Marlins. The last time you and I talked, it was, I believe, down the stretch run of the season. And the Marlins ended up making the playoffs and, you know, winning a playoff series. Uh, how was that ride? How do you feel now about the Marlins, you know, as we head into the offseason? Are you soaking it all in still? Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was a special. You know, would it have happened in a regular season? Of course not. Uh, still, I, the, the team was definitely – we talked about it before the season. And I said, look, these guys are going to be better than many expect. I did not think they were going to be able to make the playoffs, even in a shortened season, even in all the craziness, um, given everything that happened, it was just, it was so much fun. Um, I think, you know, people like to joke that there's not a lot of Marlins fans, which sure there aren't a lot of Marlins fans, but the ones that are around and have stuck around, you know, they've been waiting since 2003 for just a competitive team. They've been waiting over a decade for a team to finish over 500. So it's like, they finally got that. And whether you consider the season, you know, a real season or not, it was still, you could just feel this buzz around the Marlins that, you know, I, I can't remember since I was a little kid. Um, so that was definitely a lot of fun to cover. It was a lot of fun to see people just excited about the team um, and to see some people interested that weren't generally interested in baseball. I think there was a lot of cool things about it. It's a likable team, uh, a lot of good personalities, and look, they have a lot of work to do still. I mean, they're, they're not a playoff team in a 162-game season, but I do think that they opened some eyes to the point that, you know, they're getting there. They're making progress. The farm system's great. That talent's starting to make its way to the majors, and, and they've made some some good moves. And I think it's starting to come together a little bit. I think this is a huge year to try to capture some momentum. And that's why this off season is going to be very interesting for the entire division. Yeah. I think, you know, you make a lot of good points there. And the, the, the one thing I'm most curious about with the Marlins is after a season like that, I think you were spot on by saying this isn't a playoff team through 162, but they were through 60. And, and I mean, you know, to be honest, that 60 was a gauntlet. Like you had to play a lot with everybody in this East had to play a lot of difficult teams and the Marlins, you know, you and I talked about it. We kept wondering when they'd be killed off, when they'd be killed off, when, 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 it, when would it, you know, uh, they, they'd stop people just tre- treading water. They treaded water in a, in a more difficult division. And that's why I think, you know, you, we saw all those average teams in the central, the Marlins went and beat the, the central division champion. I, I don't think there's much, um, and I'm not too surprised by that. 
because, you know, it was all kill or no filler in that East. And so now I'm wondering, you know, you, you turn your attention forward and say, okay, we were a playoff team. We'd be a team like the Cubs. We're not a playoff team through 162, like you said, just because of the grind of it and, you know, not just having the the quality depth and the bodies to play at that level to maintain, you know, if a certain guy goes down. What do you do if you're the Marlins? What are you targeting here in the offseason, right? Because, you know, it's it's kind of a weird spot to be in. Okay, we showed some stuff. We made the playoffs. But, you know, how do you make that jump from being a 60, uh, you know, a 60-game playoff team with that much youth to being – 162 game playoff team with this much youth. Uh, It's a really good question. And it's a big, uh, it's a big thing that the team has to figure out right now. I think what the Marlins did realize this year uh, and a big reason why they were able to survive the gauntlet is that they have a lot of pitching depth in the organization, that the offense is still not quite there. They had some guys step up like Garrett Cooper, who looks like a legitimate, you know, solid big league hitter. Uh, Corey Dickerson wasn't good. So you're banking on him actually being better. The Marte edition was huge. Of course, they lost him for that Brave series, which which I don't know if they would have won it without him. They lost him for the whole playoffs, actually. Excuse me. So, you know, you have all of that going on um, and they still were able to make it. They added Marte, which I think as a starter, it gives you that little bit of an offensive jolt, but they need help behind the dish. The, the most concerning thing to me and I actually recorded a podcast on this yesterday talking about my offseason plans and Marlins fans were torn on this, but look, the Marlins benched Jorge Alfaro the entire postseason. That's the guy that's supposed to be their starting catcher. That's the guy that's been their starting catcher for the last couple of years. They go with Chad Wallach citing, you know, he's calling good games right now and he's framing well and all that stuff. Sure. I, I believe that. But at the end of the day, if you have a quality starting catcher, you are not starting your backup catcher with a 600 career OPS because he's calling good pitches and framing well. Like that's a kind of a cop-out answer to the fact that we don't trust this catcher to to be able to do it on the defensive side of things. And his offense isn't good enough to make me trust him. So I think the Marlins have to look catcher. I think that's the first place that they should look. And the problem is the market is, is relatively thin JT real Muto out of the price range, right? He's not coming back home. There's no reunion there. Your nationals, could be in on him. The, the money's going to be the question, right? James yeah. McCann is the next best candidate. And I really like James McCann, but here's my problem. I think that it's going to be a bidding war and he's going to say, look how much real Muto just got. Good luck finding another catcher as good as him, or even a fraction as good of him as him. And, and he's going to end up driving up his price because the nationals will be interested. The right. Marlins will be interested. Mets will be the interested. Mets will be interested. Yeah, NL East bidding war alone then you have the Angels, the Yankees, all these teams that are going to be interested. And it's such a commodity. I don't know if the Marlins are going to be able to do it that way. So the point I made is like the Marlins have a lot of prospects. And I think they're at a point now where, you know what, you got to use that as currency and you got to go out and trade for some guys because at the end of the day, you can't play all these prospects. They have a ton of outfielders that they're just not going to use. And they went out and traded for another one in Griffin Conine, who is also a very projectable power hitter. So they have so many and they need to use that to their advantage and go get something. I floated Wilson Contreras. He could be a possibility. The price will be steep. You could look at Salvador Perez. The Royals would be nuts not to trade him with his contract expiring after next year and their farm system, not where it should be. Uh, Even a Christian Vasquez, the Red Sox, 
could really use a replenishment of their young pitching. There's so many other trade candidates that I think would be cheaper and more attainable for the Marlins. And the one thing that they have that other teams don't have is prospect depth. They will never be able to outbid guys, but they will be able to outbid you on trade value, which is what they need to use to their advantage. Well, especially in this division, right? I mean, there's it's a division full of pretty spent and you know better than me, but I mean, for the most part, it's pretty spent farm systems. Like I don't, I mean, I know that, you know, I don't know the Philly situation, but I know at least as far as the nationals go, like the big complaint has been, they can't, they can't get any pitchers up into the major leagues. Right. And so they don't have much in the way of capital and, you know, in terms of making a trade and uh, for a team like that. And also for a team, you know, like the Mets, I mean, they've they're they now have the cash influx to do it in free agency. It's really interesting though, because the catcher market does all seem to be, does all seem to be in one division. Uh, It's, which is bizarre. And I think that, you know, you bring up James McCann, it seems like everybody I talk to, no matter if they're a national person or, you know, not, I mean, Washington nationals, like national baseball person or a uh, specific team baseball person, James McCann is the guy everybody's eyeing. And, you know, it's funny because I originally thought a catcher, a lot of those guys would, would kind of almost drop off because they, you know, JT Realmuto was a prize and you look at the gap between him and even James McCann has been very good. It's, still a gigantic gap, but you're right. There's such a, there's such desire to get somebody, you know, at that position who is competent uh, offensively, especially, and the teams, you know, a lot of teams are, are desperate for that kind of, uh, you know, production. The Mets are a team that I could see being desperate for that kind of stuff. And that's where for, in my opinion, for the nationals, at least you got to hold off there because, you know, if like, like you're saying, the more and more we talk about it, the, the price for McCann is going to be driven up. And for the Nats already having Jan Gomes, who had a nice offensive season and actually had a season that I think not, you know, recreate, but it was a, it wasn't just an aberration. It feels like, you know, there's no, there's no pressure on you, especially with Trace Barrera. Why not give him the shot of the second catcher and not spend, you know, spend yourself out of maybe be able, you know, being able to fix some other positions with a, with a, you know, with some of that money that you might spend on a catcher. So for me, that's how, that's where I'm at. And, and maybe too, the Marlins should probably be thinking like that too. Hey, if, if this price is going to be driven up by a lot of these teams, you know, get out and save that money and put it elsewhere. Yeah, I agree. And, and if James McCann's agent is is doing his job right, he's going to leverage the NL East against each other. And ultimately, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be the Braves, or not the Braves, excuse me, the Nationals and the Mets and the Phillies going at it. I think the Nationals drop out, like you said, because they tend to be a little bit, you know, smarter and more careful in that regard. Right. They're kind of a middle ground between the big market and smaller market. But the Phillies, they're all in right now. And, and they're gonna they're gonna try and make that last move, especially if they lose Real Muto. It's gonna be an uproar. They're gonna need to fill that spot. And then the Mets, they've got just endless cash, especially with Cano being suspended. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's it's one of those situations where I'm like, Bit, bit against each other. I'm happy going to Philly or New York. It's two great spots yeah, and two I, good teams. I, I have a question about, you know, about when it comes to comes to Real Muto, like the Phillies cannot let him walk and go to an NL East team. Like oh, you that, cannot let that happen. Can that's you? The, I mean, it's, it's insult to injury. That's you just the crazy can't do thing. that. You can't, you can't look at Sixto Sanchez on the Marlins and then Real Muto on the Nationals, uh, you know, or Mets. Like you can't, you just can't do that. In my opinion, at least. I I agree. I think, you know, I can understand the sentiment of like, okay, you know what? We, we don't want to pay him. We thought he was going to be cheaper. Didn't realize that he was going to end up being this expensive. But when you realize that if you let him walk, there's a high chance, I'd say more than a 50, 50 chance that he ends up in the NL East. 
you got to just get to the point where you're like, all right, we got to give him a nauseating amount of money and figure right. it out because it's not only you're losing him, you are facing him. And right. that's just, that's just going to be terrible. And, the and one Philly is going to be is, living. The one saving grace is the DH seems to be on the way, right? For the national league. I mean, we think that's going to be down. I mean, from at least, you know, I talked to RJ Anderson of CBS sports and he seems to be of the mind that even next year we might get a DH. So, and that was my one uh, kind of hesitation with him is that, look, you, I get concerned about guys at catcher because I think Buster Posey is a great example, generational talent at the position, but is one injury away always from, you know, you're, you're like, I can't put this guy behind the dish anymore. And not every person could go learn first base. So with the DH down the line, you know, or, you know, DH inevitable, in my opinion, that kind of alleviates things. And if I'm the Phillies now with that extra element added in, there's no reason to not resign him. That, that, yeah. like, that's almost like a backstop, if you will, you know, to, you know, Hey, look, whatever your concerns are, if he gets injured and he can't catch, you still have a place to put him. And this guy was a high school quarterback. He, he was yeah, drafted. He's a, as a he's damn good athlete. He, he's a damn I, good athlete. Yeah. I'll bet on him figuring it out at first base or even a corner outfield spot. Like I think he could figure it out. Like he's a, he was a quarterback and a shortstop. Like he will figure it out. Um, and like you said, you, you cross that bridge when you get there. How is that any more concerning than giving a 28 year old Bryce Harper 12 years? You know that the last three, four years of that contract are going to be terrible, but you, you swallow it because you're going to get eight, six, seven, eight really good years. So like, that's the deep, that's the way it works, man. Like that's the way it is. And you just got to deal with it, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. I think the Marlins have to start there. They got to go to the bullpen and, and there's a lot of good relief options. Who doesn't though? Who doesn't need yeah. bullpen? Pitching? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, find someone there, you, you offer him an opportunity to potentially be a closer where he probably wouldn't be a closer elsewhere, like a Dustin May or, you know, one of those other guys. Um, but yeah, I'm not Dustin May, sorry. Uh, Trevor May. Yeah. I freaking <laughs> wish uh, I, that would be fantastic. He's great, but yeah, Trevor May, or are you looking at Trinan? I think, you know, Hendricks is too expensive, uh, but that'll probably be another guy in Philly, but if Philly goes out and gets Hendricks and, you know, somebody else, and it ends up adding up to close to what the AAV would be for Rio Muto, Philly is going to burn down Citizen Banks Park. Like that. I just, I don't understand how they can do this from an optics he standpoint. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They've got six new awesome flavors now. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar chia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Those go along with the 12 original flavors, coconut, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, orange, toffee, almond, coconut, and peanut butter brownie. All 12 of those are covered in chocolate. They've got six with nut, six without nut. And for what it's worth, peanut butter brownie is, in fact, my favorite. Right now, go to BuiltBar.com, use a promo code LOCKEDON, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off on your next order. Also, you have a chance to win a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. Once again, it's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off on your next order. I wanted to ask you a question about the about the pitching part of it, the, the bullpen thing, because you brought up a good point. I just, I'm very curious what your thoughts are. I'm pretty much against, for the most part, going out and paying a reliever like millions and millions of dollars. And I, you know, in, in the uh, five plus, basically four or five plus to pitch for me. And here's the reason why is that a lot of times it's one of those weird positions where it's, it's almost like the NFL kicker, right? How many times does a change, a change of scenery for a guy kind of bring them to life as a kicker? 
the same thing happens and we see it constantly in the MLB for relievers guy goes a different place, almost gets a different role. And then he's lights out. And, you know, the nationals, <laughs> Blake Trinan had his issues with the nationals and somebody who found a role elsewhere, Jerry Blevins, another guy who was awful at the nationals found a role elsewhere. And, and the, you know, the list kind of goes on with guys like that. And then also you see, you know, high end purchases, uh, you know, see like a guy like Edwin Diaz and they can't find a spot for him. Right. You know, I, I almost feel, and, and even, I mean, I think he's very good or all his Chapman, but how many times has Chapman been on the hook with Yankees fans for bad losses? A million. Uh, Kenley Jansen. Kenley, Kenley Jansen. Another, another, another good example. And, you know, I think the, the right way to go is, and I'm not saying this is how you build, build your entire bullpen, but the nationals, you know, get a guy like Kyle Finnegan last year, who was awesome for them. Tanner Rainey. Awesome for them. Their best bullpen pitchers were guys that you didn't really see coming. You and can I think find that's the best guys. way. That's the best way to build a bullpen. It's yeah, not I worth agree. spending money on, in my opinion. It's I not agree. because you burn money in an inefficient way, and there's no guarantee year to year those guys are going to be consistent. I, I agree 100. I'm a proponent of getting one veteran that you know you, you throw in there on a two year deal. The Marlins did it like with Sergio Romo on a one year, and I like that. You know, somebody that that you know has the experience and they're good, and they can kind of anchor that bullpen. Um, but I agree. You can cultivate your own guys. There's so many failed starters that go to the bullpen and end up being fantastic. Uh, Nick Anderson, maybe one of the best relievers in baseball was a D two guy, then indie ball guy. And the Marlins just developed him and he turned into one of the best relievers in baseball and they flipped him for a top 100 prospect. Like there's so many guys as relievers that just come out. Look at, look at, uh, Trevor Rosenthal. That guy was lost. Like I, I was sad watching him pitch. Oh, we know. It's, it's, you know, we yeah, watched the Nationals. He yeah, was lost with the infinite yep. ERA, right? And then he yes. comes back and has a great year, and I'm happy for him. And you're also preaching to the choir here. I watched the Marlins trade Chris Paddock for Fernando Rodney, who had a .32 ERA, just for him to come to Miami and have an eight ERA, you know, down the stretch. So it, it's one of those things. It's incredibly volatile. It's, you got to be careful, but if you can go two years, you know, 11 million on a Blake Trinan or you know, right. something like that, I'm happy with that. The Marlins went uh, one year with a second year option on, on Brandon Kinsler. They declined the option this year, even though he was good uh, just because 4 million was a little steep. Uh, th those are fine deals and he was worth it. But yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You can cultivate your own guys. You can build your bullpen out with everybody throws a hundred now, man. Like everybody yeah. throws hard. You figure yeah, it out two pitches. It, yeah. Yeah, you'll be able to figure out how to make a guy a reliever. Um, and, and that's the way the game is. But yeah, I, I'm interested to see what the reliever market will look like. And I think the fact that the Marlins were willing to decline Blake Trine or Blake Trine, the Marlins are willing to uh, decline Brandon Kinsler's option for $4 million after he was their closer down the stretch there and was very solid. I, I think it, it kind of shows that a lot of teams are probably thinking the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if you told me next year that Austin Voth uh, you know, by mid August was a nationals, you know, seventh inning guy and was rock solid. I wouldn't be surprised. And he was one of the worst pitchers that I've ever seen in my entire life at major league level this year. But like, how often does a guy just need a change of either scenery or position and, and it ends up working out? Uh, speaking of pitching arm, um, you and I were talking before the show about some instructional league games that happened and the nationals and the Marlins, I believe they had a, a few more than one, correct? Yeah, they played quite a few games. So both teams, I mean, and this has been this has been the big challenge, right? There's so many guys, especially with the pitching at the pitching perspective, those guys need these reps of you know getting out there and uh, you know like facing some competition at least. 
to um, you know try to prove themselves and work up. And I think it, it sounds like from what you're telling me, both these teams had a fair amount of their young arms uh, competing in these games. Yeah, so let me take my Marlins hat off. I'll put the uh, locked on prospects. <laughs> you hat can do on. both on. You yeah. can you can do both because <laughs> yeah. hey, here's the thing: Marlins prospects are still relevant to the Nationals because these yeah. are guys that they're going to be seeing in a few years. You know, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, there's a few guys in in this Nationals uh, top ten, uh, which is all pitchers. Um, that... uh, yeah, they they better be good. There better be a few guys. Are yeah. I mean, it's they, they've got so many pitchers. Well, you know, this is this is you know the best kind of resource or source I can, I can have it coming from is the players themselves that mm-hmm. faced some of these pitchers. Um, and the one that I got the most interesting and like the most, uh, the, wow, I didn't even know who this guy was. And then, you know, I looked him up after cause he was so hard to hit was Eddie Yeen. And he's right around, you know, the sixth or seventh ranked prospect in the national system by MLB pipeline. I would put him more at like the five spot because mm-hmm. He is deceptive. He throws hard. He's already got a really good feel for his secondary stuff as a, a 19 year old going on 20. He's very advanced for his age. And from, from what the players said was that he it was just incredibly deceptive and hard to pick up. And for a 19 year old to be doing that already, uh, I'm very intrigued. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on Eddie Yeen. Uh, this coming, you know, minor league season, I'm expecting, you know, he'll probably be an A ball. Maybe they'll move him up to high A based on his impressive performance and instructs. But I heard nothing but good things about Yeen. And uh, I think he's going to be a pretty good pitcher from the video I've seen and from what I've heard that kind of corroborated it. And then, you know, the Jackson Rutledges and the Cade Cavallis, like those guys are always going to look pretty darn good. But I've heard Rutledge gets better every time he's out there and he's doing a good job of repeating his mechanics, which was the big question as a six foot eight, 250 pound guy. Um, And he's starting to have it come together. I'm very excited to see what these Nationals pitchers do um, because they are going to have so many through the system that are, you know, worth watching. And that's going to be cool to see because I know you guys have been waiting a long time to see it come together. And I think there's a few guys here that are worth looking at. But Eddie Yeen is one of the more underrated, uh, not talked about enough guys that I think is going to quickly uh, fire onto the radar of a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about Eddie Yeen before the season and it was one of those where I was, you know, talking to a, a Connor Jones, good friend of mine, you know, gigantic Nats fan. And, we try, you know, you try to follow the stuff and it's really hard to get a beat on you know, I guess his, uh, I'm trying to figure out his birthday is in June. So, you know, we talked about him, he was 18 years old at the time. And uh, especially for a kid, you know, who's that young, it's, it's darn near impossible to get like a good beat on what he's doing. And, uh, you know, like what's kind of the, 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 I mean, the skinny on him, I guess, for lack of a better term. So it's good to hear about him. You're just deceptive and, and, my big question with a lot of these guys always too is like, how do their bodies change, especially at that young age, right? And how do they kind of, like you said, like, as I mean, when your body changes, I feel like, especially from a mechanical standpoint, it can be a bit changing. Like your mechanics can can suffer because I feel like, you know, if, if you put on more weight, like your balance suffers, right? And there is something to be said about, okay, I'm trying to repeat the same motion over, over and over and over again. And if you, you know, you're getting bigger, getting stronger, that kind of stuff, it can be different to do. Or, you know, you can, you can see some variation there. So that that's kind of what you're, you know, you're wondering with a guy like a Jackson Rutledge is, you know, he looks like he's all skin and bones. And what happens as he, you know, he's, I mean, 
he looks like it, but you know, they have listed at 6'8, 250. But like, as you know, what's 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 his weight at now? You know, what is looking like, you know, in, in a in a time where he's not pitching a, a, you know in the minor leagues, he's not monitored being monitored the way he would in a normal season. And I think I, I always touch on him though. He's the guy everybody's wondering about because with a front three like this, and you know, if, if he can make the major leagues in the next couple of seasons. And, and help the Nationals not have to go out and spend a ton of money in the rotation to be competitive. Because, I mean, you look at those three contracts they have right now. Dear God, that's a lot of money. I mean, it's a good front three, but it's a lot of money. To have somebody who's homegrown would be a gigantic help for them. Absolutely. And, and Rutledge, funny enough, was was actually supposed to go to the Cape League and, and pitch for the team I was broadcasting play by play for mm. uh, ultimately getting drafted, you know, out of out of San Jacinto Community College, where we had a feeling he was never coming. Um, and that ended up being the case. But he actually signed the contract to come over before he had that crazy year. We had a really good uh, GM that was just so good at evaluating talent, Peter Flaherty. And he was high on Rutledge out of the gate. Uh, I don't know how he heard about him or whatever it was, but he was just citing spin rate, spin rate. He's was just, it before San Jacinto or was it? Yeah, it was leading right into San Jacinto. Because, I mean, uh, that place just breathed. You know, they, they get so they many good guys there. Talent. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. So he cited the the spin rate, at the effortless velocity. He's like, yeah, he throws upper 90s, but it looks even harder. Uh, he's already got the slider, and the curveball is already an above-average pitch too. What I will say is he's finding the changeup. And that could be a, a huge difference maker. He doesn't need it, but it could be what makes him elite because we look at guys that throw that hard to just have the changeup going off of it when you're six, eight, and you can repeat your delivery and make it look the same. He could be a problem. And one of the cool things, a lot of the pitchers that I've brought on to the show and I've talked to, uh, especially the power pitchers, uh, the Marlins drafted somebody kind of similar, Kyle Nicholas from ball state, he's six, five, just throws absolute gas. And um, he said, this opportunity during COVID, the one thing, the silver lining was I just got to go into the backyard and just throw a change up over and over and over again. And I didn't have to worry about somebody hitting it 400 feet or spiking it in the dirt and walking guys. Like I, if it was in the season, I wouldn't have bothered throwing it because I, I have to put up numbers. Mm-hmm. So they were saying, and I had at least three pitchers say that to me where it was like, I got a chance to spend time working on a pitch and just working on it and working on it and working on it. And when else do I really get to do that? And they felt like they got a much better feel for the changeup. I'm curious to see if that'll be the case with Rutledge. If he used that time to develop a pitch that he didn't quite have as much because the changeup was lagging behind the slider curveball and fastball. And that'll be the interesting thing. A lot of pitchers made adjustments in the alternate training site that had things click for them. Tristan McKenzie was one of them and it really worked out for him in his debut. Uh, Tanner Houck, another one with the Red Sox, who was phenomenal. Mizzou made Tanner Houck. There you go. And yeah. he, ha- he had some delivery issues. He was, right. he was very funky, but right. he made some adjustments at the ATS. It was like a free little demo to be able to just <laughs> practice whatever you need to yeah. work on. And it clicked for him and he gets moved up. And I, I think it's unique because I think you're going to see an opportunity where it was a, an opportunity for guys to tinker a little bit. And I think some made benefit from it more than others and that's where it'll be interesting leading into next year to see which guys kind of found something new or made those adjustments or unlock something because at the end of the day that's what it's all about so so almost you know it's almost like you know not having the pressures of a competition 
was helpful. Is that kind of what you're saying? You know, yeah, the, absolutely. The same, the same instruction and lesson, I guess you could say, but not the pressures and rigors of, of being in a competitive setting. Absolutely. Another example I can give you is, is with the Padres, Ryan Weathers, he gets mm-hmm. called up uh, and everyone was like, holy crap, why is Weathers getting called up? He, he's never pitched above a ball and, and we've got Mackenzie Gore. Uh, and it was kind of crazy, but what happened was Weathers had seen an uptick in his velocity at the alternate training site. He made some adjustments. He's all of a sudden throwing a plus slider and the Padres were like, wait, this guy could be a reliever for us right now down the stretch. Mm-hmm. We need a lefty. He's already got two pitches. He's thrown harder than he ever has. And they wheeled him out there and pitched him in the postseason. He made history. So the, things like that would never happen. And that's the weird silver lining out of all of it is it was just a controlled environment to work on things. And for some guys, you know, it, it helped them a lot. Uh, Aram, where can people find you and all of your work? Uh, so at Arm Late Nate on Twitter and at Locked On MLB Prospects. I think it's L O underscore MLB Prospects. I'm doing a rundown of all 30 farm systems. So I will be getting to the national soon. I just did the Tigers. And then I also did the Rays, the Padres, a few others, the Mariners, the Marlins. Uh, I'm kind of doing it in order, but the Nationals are interesting because I'm going to just be talking about pitchers most of the time. Uh, so the it'll, top it'll be 10 good. are all pitchers. They yeah, all, but I got a lot of info, <laughs> a lot of info on the Nats. So I'll definitely be doing that. And uh, hopefully I'll get a Nationals interview mixed in there. I had former National on uh, not too long ago, Jesus Rosardo. Um, mm-hmm. It was a great interview. Yeah. Uh, if you want to check that out and hear from him, he does talk about his time in, uh, in the Nationals organization, which was short lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he, he was a great interview. So hopefully I'll have a Nationals interview out there soon. All right, perfect. Arm, we appreciate your time. Arm Layden of the Locked On Marlins and Locked On MLB Prospects podcasts.